tuned in to the Call Me Al podcast. Uh, the Call Me Al podcast is um, uh, uh, produced by the Interdependence Network. The technical support from Side Project Incorporated in terms of putting uh, together uh, the podcast. And the podcast is underwritten uh, by Connect Community, a tremendous program uh, in uh, supporting individuals with brain injuries uh, in Canada, uh, having sites in both British Columbia as well as Ontario. So we thank Connect Community for their support. And today we have a we have a great conversation uh, lined up with Dr. Guy Caruso. Um, Guy Caruso is a longtime advocate uh, for many, many years in the disability movement. He's a dear friend of mine as well. Guy uh, got his uh, doctorate, his PhD at Syracuse University, where he trained at the uh, world-renowned um, uh, uh, training institute run by Dr. Wolf Wolfensberger. So, Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Al. Good. Guy, um, you've been, you know, you've been uh, associated with a social role valorization for many, many years. And prior to that, the principle of normalization. Um, I thought we would start our conversation today by you just sort of telling us what social role valorization actually means, what, what it what the, the, the term connotes and what the focus of social role valorization is. Sure, I'd be happy to, Al. Um, let me go back, though, just a little bit. You mentioned normalization, and um, that was a concept that started in Scandinavia, and it really uh, came out of listening to people with disabilities as to what they wanted in their lives, and basically they want a typical, normal life like any other Scandinavian. Wolfensberger was fortunate to really learn about the concept. He North Americanized it, and in 1972 wrote a classic book called The Principle of Normalization. It really um, was a game changer in regards to how people, particularly young people and colleges, you know, started to think about the work we were doing, because the primary model back then was institutions for people with disabilities, which was anything but normal in people's lives. So that book that Wolfensberger wrote and then through his training institute at Syracuse University, Don uh, Burton Blatt had brought Wolf in uh, to Syracuse, and Burton himself was this giant in, in the change movement. But Wolf, uh, Wolfensberger taught normalization uh, around the country, uh, internationally, and that went on for probably nine or ten years. And he, what he came to believe is that as well as it was doing, it wasn't really accomplishing what he hoped it would do. Because now we had people living in communities, you know, going to schools, going to workshops, uh, living in residential setting that you and I operated in back in those days. And people were in community, but they weren't part of community. Mm. So he walked away from normalization. In 1980, he reconceptualized normalization, uh, changed it, moved forward, and he came up with the term social role valorization, which is a mouthful. And at one time he was actually asked, you know, why did you use that term? And he jokingly said, because no one knows what it means. <laughs> he, you know, he wanted people to really have a dip, you know, to move away from normalization. And what it comes down to, social role valorization, um, it, it's simple in some, some sense and yet complex in others. But basically what Wolfensberger wanted was for people with disabilities who had been wounded, devalued in many ways, 
And certainly normalization had helped people stock in, in many ways, but they still weren't part of community. So social role validation was really meant to help people just have the good things in life like anybody else. You know, that was a job, mm -hmm. it was uh, housing, it was friends, relationships, mm -hmm. opportunity, good health, whatever the things are that all of us want in life. That was the, the bottom line. Now, to do that, um, there were two major cornerstones that really Wolf uh, worked on. And one had to do with competence. You can't really have the good things in life unless you're seen as a competent individual. And the mm -hmm. second cornerstone was image, how you're mm -hmm. perceived, how you're looked at. So, mm -hmm. and then he had um, 10 themes that he used to sort of strategies to bring that about. And you know, the first one was really that people needed to be conscious that people with disabilities have been uh, devalued, they've been wounded, and people have to come to accept that and understand that. Because if you don't get that, then the actions mm -hmm. you do probably won't have a, a big impact on change. And then the other key thing um, was people should use, he had this phraseology called the culturally valued analog, the CVA. But basically what it meant is, if we don't use what valued people use in life, things aren't gonna change for people with disabilities. We have created sort of a fake world um, in normalization in some sense. We had the shelter workshops and the group homes and the day programs. And yeah, they were better than the institution, but people still weren't part of the community. They were only with other people with disabilities. And so we really concentrated on competence, imagery, and then people needed to be in valued roles, not devalued roles, because we were good at doing that. Pity, charity, patient, dependent, yes. menace, right. eternal right. child, all those things. Those those didn't help people's, they didn't get people accepted in life. So, but if people mm -hmm. were able to get into a valued role, you know, brother, sister, mm -hmm. uncle, mm -hmm. churchgoer, hobbyist, um, canoeist, uh, mm -hmm. basketball player, you know, churchgoer, whatever it happened to be, that didn't guarantee that people were going to be accepted, but it seemed to have a lot more um, leverage in helping mm -hmm. people to be actually seen and to have a good life like anybody else. So I don't yeah. know if that helped out, but that's sort of what he was trying to get across. That's a, that's a, a, a great overview guy. In fact, the historical um, impact of people like Wolfensberger and then folks like yourself who have taken um, uh, Dr. Wolfensberger's concepts and principles and, and further uh, proliferate, pro, proliferate them has been has really been outstanding and and um, but, but with you guys specifically how did you get introduced to Wolfensberger and how what era was that and and how did you align into this incredible movement that you have made such an impact in you know well um, I was very fortunate I had a chance to go to graduate school I had Way to be on the way and uh, was house painting in Long Island and uh, took a shot at uh, getting an education. You know, being Italian, my father's mantra was uh, get an education, get an education, don't do like me. Yeah. And I went to Syracuse and um, a good friend of mine actually had a, a fraternity brother from undergraduate school days had uh, said this, this guy Wolfensberger, you got to come up here. Um, mm -hmm. There's a rehab program, the tuition, there's, there's a stipend and the school is paid for. Uh, mm -hmm. so I, I grabbed that ring and went, and um, my first class was uh, with Wolfensberger on mm -hmm. normalization. Back then, what was 19, that? 1974. Okay. And uh, again, I mentioned Burton Blatt was leading the School of Education. You know, he was a, a giant in the field as well. Wolf was there, and uh, um, 
you know, I, I took the course from Wolf and um, um, got to see it. You know, <laughs> the, uh, I went to him and I said, I added up my grades and I think I got a B. And Wolf said, well, Mr. Caruso, why don't you come to a few of my events and we'll see what we can do about that that C. Yeah. <laughs> so I started going to uh, his full-fledged, you know, three-day events on normalization. And then he had a, an event on PASS, which was program analysis of service systems, which took the conceptual stuff in normalization. And you actually went out and you met with people in the settings they lived in, people with disabilities. You actually evaluated and made judgments about the quality of services. That was eye-opening. That was just to actually go see real services. So I had an opportunity to see at the many's workshops. So I got to see the hundreds literally of services and make judgments wow. about with them, you know, using the principle of normalization. Later that transcended to the social role valorization and Wolf changed the pass instrument to passing using a social role valorization. Um, that was my, my introduction uh, with Wolf, going to a lot of workshops. Um, he really mentored students. I mean, he really was about leadership and working with students to uh, be change agents is a terminology that he used to really go out. And again, as you, you're well aware of, the primary way that we serve people back then was by institutional services, mm -hmm. and segregated and congregated services. And Wolf was all about really challenging that um, way of doing things and really helping people to, to have the good things in life, be in the community yeah. like anybody else. Yeah. Um, so that was my well, that, yeah that that that's a that's a tremendous story and you know look at the historical impl implications of this as uh, um, looking back uh, in that era and in fact that's when you and I really first met was yeah. way back in the seventies uh, because you know our, our careers sort of paralleled one another uh, um, I was a graduate student at the very same time at the University of Pittsburgh. Yeah. And had heard about Wolfensberger and and some of the things that he had done in Nebraska and 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 um, sorry I attended um, a normalization event the ones that you went to to proctor and work with Wolfensberger on and then also into the passing and and uh, the um, the constructs and the concept that Wolfensberger uh, initiated were really revolutionary they were. They were just incredible. And I think if, if these hadn't happened, it, it, it would be, you know, you, you look at uh, now what's happening for people with significant disabilities, and we know there's still a lot of work to be done. But the progress that has been made under the philosophies that folks like, like Dr. Wolfensberger and Burton Blatt and Seymour Sarenson and, mm -hmm. you know, some of these other legendary uh, figures, right. um, uh, it would have been a totally different picture if they hadn't been there at, at that time. And, and, and Guy wanted to, uh, you know, you had a really personal relationship with, with Dr. Wolfensberger. You, uh, you got to know him very, very personal, personally uh, at Syracuse, uh, got to know his family, uh, went on, went on vacations actually with, with Wolfensberger. And, and I know that a recent video, recent uh, documentary, uh, was released on, on Wolfensberger's life that you had a lot to do with in terms of preparing. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, that documentary and can you talk a little bit about Wolfensberger, the, the person? 
Yeah, the, the documentary we put together, Jerry Smith out of the University of Minnesota uh, was the, the, the producer and really you know, put it together, called Valuing Lives, the Principle mm. of Normalization, Wolf Wolfensberger and the Principle of Normalization. Um, it sort of was spurred on to do that project because, because Wolf was a fascinating character. As you indicated, he really um, was a change agent and a, a catalyst for change from the model of institutional services to community services. But he was a complex guy. I mean, he came out of Nazi Germany as a young boy. So he was, you know, really um, shaped by what took place during World War II and how a whole society can be destroyed. And obviously, you know, many people don't realize or know that some of the first people killed in Nazi Germany obviously were people with disabilities. And uh, there was a whole program that uh, was, was literally killing people living in institutions. So I think Wolf was shaped by that experience as a, a young, young boy and came to the United States and uh, you know, became Americanized. I went to Peabody University, now Vanderbilt University, uh, down in Tennessee. And, uh, and then went, you know, went on to, went on to, to work um, um, in Nebraska, as you mentioned. And he started um, you know, with others and he was really closely connected to families. He really understood families and understood you know, sort of the, the question is, what happens when I'm no, no longer here is a question family members often ask. And Wolf really, you know, took that to heart, um, actually came up with a concept called citizen advocacy that really matched as a person with a disability with a community member on a non-paid relationship, just because friendship and relationships are so crucial. But Wolf really developed the, the NCORE system out in Nebraska, which was literally from birth to death, a whole community-based system that people could be in their whole lives, again, to be in community. Um, uh, Wolf moved away from Nebraska, came to Syracuse. So Burton Black got him to come to Syracuse. Uh, actually, he had a, a, a short stay in Canada with the uh, National Institute on what was called then the Mentor Retardation, uh, NIMR, where he, in a, a year or two, just did fan fantastic things with young people, with people interested in change and social justice in Canada. Again, using normalization, using the past instrument um, to get people to really see services. Again, help to create a whole uh, systems change in Canada. Burton Black got him to come to Syracuse. Uh, Wolf created the Training Institute on Human Service Leadership and Change Agency um, to really bring about change in the United States. And you know, I just got the as a as a poor graduate student. Actually, uh, Wolf had me do some painting in his house. I got to know him and his, his family at that point in time. Uh, he had a great sense of humor. He was wonderful with uh, students. You know, he would invite students and his lovely um, now deceased wife and Wolf is deceased as well, would uh, really host uh, uh, graduate <laughs> doctoral students at his home, uh, fine dining. We would have uh, wonderful conversations we would sing. We would uh, put on skits and plays. Um, he was incredibly welcoming. Uh, he had people from around the world stay at his house, uh, and he imparted to a lot of us who were uh, his uh, being mentored by him in a sense, the whole sense of hospitality, of the importance of relationship, the importance of having relationships with people with disabilities and really making commitments to people for the long term, not just, you know, hello and then goodbye, but really making, you know, lifelong uh, relationships. Um, um, which I've been just blessed to have in my life, people with disabilities that I've known for years and years who become, um, you know, uh, uncles to my kids and uh, friends mm -hmm. to our families. 
Um, Wolf was a taskmaster, though, being German by background. <laughs> was not an easy person to work with. You would write a paper and you would write it probably five times before mm. you were satisfied with it. When you learned to train using his material, um, you had to go over it and over it. He would um, uh, criticize you, uh, analyze what you did, uh, and you weren't able to go off and do it on your own until you really had done it a number of times in his presence uh, to his satisfaction. Um, so again, he wasn't easy to please, but yeah. Uh, yeah. he held your feet to the fire. Um, he had a great sense of humor. Gosh, I, I got him to go. I, I invited him on the, a rafting trip up in Pulaski, <laughs> New York, on the Black River, which is north of Syracuse, thinking he's not going to come on this rafting trip. <laughs> a rafting trip. And uh, lo and behold, he accepted the invitation. And we probably had three or four rafts filled with people, with guides yeah. on this pretty treacherous yeah. water. He had so much fun. He had to sing in German river songs. You know, <laughs> we were doing uh, Bugsy Berkeley dances in the water. You know, at the end was um, a barbecue. He loved his barbecue and and beer at the end of the day. And uh, so he was he was a lot of fun as well. Well traveled, a great uh, host, um, uh, a hard taskmaster, but. Um, uh, mm. He was true to the cause. He really yeah. believed that people with disabilities deserve the good life, the good things in life. And uh, he spent his whole career yeah. um, right. working on that. And uh, I think the legacy um, guy, uh, by virtue of folks like yourself and, you know, um, the other Hank Bersani and other uh, Steve Taylor, other amazing advocates that came through that, that, you know, um, you know, that, that focus, mm -hmm. uh, with Wolfensberger has, is an incredible legacy. Let me ask this. How do you see younger folks, uh, DSPs, uh, people that are just entering the field that are providing direct supports uh, to individuals with intellectual disabilities and other, uh, compromising developmental disabilities. Do you see them embracing the construct um, how do you feel it's, uh, it's moving uh, forward with, right. uh, with, with today's um, staff? Right. Well, I think there's a, a couple of uh, issues. And um, one is a lot of us are looking for the quick fix. And Wolfensberger was not about the quick fix. So his training um, is very intensive. Um, you, don't, you don't learn it quickly necessarily. But with that said, there are a lot of young people um, – get involved in human services because they want, really want to make a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And what they find is oftentimes um, they wind up doing more paperwork and, and more other stuff than really making an impact in people's lives. So I think when they hear about social role valorization, for many people, it really energizes why they first got involved in the field. Uh, it helps to wake them up again to that feeling and that passion for bringing about change. So there's, you know, the Keystone Institute in, in, in um, uh, Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, which is part of the Keystone Service System under the leadership of Betsy Newville and Pam Cito. Um, Keystone Service System is all based on social role valorization as a whole organization. So they, they train lots and lots of people. There's another um, um, uh, the social role um, SRV implementation project in uh, um, Worcester, Massachusetts, led by Joe Mazzarelli, is training people all through Massachusetts and uh, New England area. There's uh, lots of activity in Canada training young people 
out of the Southern Ontario Training Group uh, near Toronto that does a lot of training in this area. Um, there's work out in Western Canada as well with people doing this. Um, and there's a whole international movement now, Al, you know, based on this that I'd be happy to share you know, information with you on as well. But I think, I think for many young people, this really does hit, hit a real core feeling that they have. And um, I'm even finding the Pittsburgh area that we've got a number of people that I've been able to get off to these events. Um, there's a couple of agencies now that are really interested in this. We're looking to do, do an event uh, this coming December, um, a, a three-day three full-fledged event with uh, the Keystone Institute, you know, four people here in the Pittsburgh area. So I, I think, again, people are looking for what's going to make a difference. And, um, again, not a quick fix. Uh, right, but right. Um, this training really um, is not for the faint of heart. It challenges you. It, it, it's, yeah. it stretches your, your thinking. But I think it makes a difference. I, I think there's yeah. been a sort of a revival, in a sense, for young people to get reinvolved in some of this. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to the Call Me Out uh, podcast, and uh, we're with uh, Dr. Guy Caruso, um, talking a little bit about the philosophy and the supports, um, uh, guiding supports necessary for, uh, for folks to lead a good life, for folks with disabilities uh, who have been devalued historically. And, uh, um, and, and Guy, you know, just wanted to shift gears a little bit because um, we're doing this podcast uh, today. This is uh, actually being, uh, being uh, recorded on April 9th, uh, 2020, right in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. and a stay-at-home order, as, uh, you know, the changes that deal with social distancing, um, uh, you know, we're, we're at home, you're, I'm at home, you're at home. And, uh, Jeff Romnick uh, from Side Project, who is uh, doing the technical um, focus of this uh, podcast, is at home. We're all at home. And, uh, and, and so we're, we're, you know, on the, in the throes of, a, of what will clearly be a new normal. One of the, one of the things that I think um, uh, concern me I know you as well because we've had coffee and discussions about this many times, is that one of the key elements of a good life is friends and relationships. And um, one, of the, one of the critical ingredients for people to have a good life is to be able to be with friends mm-hmm. and to physically engage. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are now in this time of pandemic when we're when we're so concerned about the coronavirus and 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 um, you know the the devastating effects of, of of the illness that follows that. What's your thoughts about leading a good life, having good social roles um, in in a in an era now that looks like it's going to be you know obviously. Uh, you know, uh, distanced from one another, more virtual stuff, more, more being far away from people. Um, will that impact a good life? And what's your thoughts on that guy? Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly going to um, stretch us all into how we think about this, but what's been kind of, kind of amazing is that we do have you know people with disabilities who um, have staff who are staying with them, uh, people, you know, making a commitment to people, uh, where they're living. Um, technology is a wonderful asset for all of us. And I think 
many of us are learning that people with disabilities have been, been living with some of this technology longer than us. This is how they mm -hmm. oftentimes stay in touch. So it, mm -hmm. it might uh, even out the playing field to some degree mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. all of a sudden we realize that you know people have been working from home, uh, living in their homes, uh, not necessarily being able to get out and being in touch in other ways. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of groups now of people with disabilities who are supporting one another, uh, other people who are professionals who are, uh, again, uh, finding ways to be supportive of people uh, in their homes or whatever. So I, I think, you know, I don't think this is going to last forever. I think, you know, we're humans want to be in touch with one another. And I think, you know, maybe this isolation will be a wake up call for us of how important it is for all of us. Maybe we've not understood it in regards to how it impacts people with disabilities. You know, many people without disabilities right now are feeling the isolation, feeling the aloneness. And people with disabilities feel that all the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe this will have an impact on bringing about that change. Now, another thing I, I'd be remiss in not talking about, Wolfensberger talked about um, the new genocide of handicapped people, which obviously wasn't a very popular topic, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but Wolfensberger saw you know, trends um, where people with disabilities could be equally, because not being valued, they, their lives could be in the balance. And we're hearing a lot mm -hmm. about that now in regards to who gets a ventilator, you know, who's mm -hmm. getting right. medications, who's being treated first in a hospital setting. So again, you know, um, there's some danger signs here as well that we need to be you know, mindful of. Now, I, mm -hmm. I think Al, you know, I, I want to just share briefly is that Social role valorization is an international movement. There's people around the world in touch with one another, you know, talking about these things, uh, finding ways to support people they know with disabilities. Um, we have a, a North America a Social Role Valorization Council that represents uh, Canada and the United States. We now have an international social role valorization association. Um, we've had a number of meetings uh, internationally over the years um, just so you know that this idea isn't just in North America. It's a, it's a concept that's worldwide. We've got people in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Ukraine, France, the Netherlands, uh, Republic of Moldova. India has been having a five-year project on social role valorization that's been renewed for another five years. Ireland, uh, the Netherlands. We've had, we're going to have our eighth international conference in Ireland in, in 2021 to give you a sense of how um, international this is. Um, we just had our seventh international conference in 2018 in, Win in Winnipeg, uh, Canada. And um, so there's lots of activity around this. And my hopes are that because of the isolation we're feeling now, people are going to get that, you know, this is what happens to people with disabilities all the time. And we've got a responsibility to make sure that all of us are connected. We're a better world when all of us are in touch with them. Yeah, and this, yeah. this you know pandemic. Um, there's amazing, wonderful, good things you're seeing about how people are doing neat things, going to nursing homes and not being able to go in, but from the outside, keeping in touch mm -hmm. with grandma or a friend mm -hmm. with a disability. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I think you know uh, the new normal might, in fact, have some positives for all of us, um, uh, and hopefully for people with disabilities as well. Yeah. It's, uh, it's clearly uh, we're going to be forging a new territory, and like any, any challenge, there's danger and, and there's opportunity. And, and um, you know, you've articulated you know, some of those really, really positive possibilities that lie out there. You know, one of the things that we know uh, as it relates to a good life and as it relates to relationships is that 
when a when a disaster or a really bad thing happens, um, people rise to the occasion. Um, but some sociologists have you know have tracked that um, you know like nine eleven for example. Mm-hmm. Um, people wanted to do whatever they could and people really started to watch for their neighbors. And, and there was this spike in, in connectedness that then really dropped off uh, as, as time unfolded. And, and so I think it really is in our hands um, as to how we're going to come out of this mm-hmm. kind of pandemic. I, I just heard this morning um, you know, a renowned doctor say that we may actually have to do away with shaking hands. <laughs> you know, now, uh, the, that, that, that cultural sort of almost primal instinct to make a connection. And I know both you and I as, as Italians, um, you know, it's more than a handshake. There's often a hug or an embrace that's that's a part of that and and this doctor was saying that maybe we're not going to even shake hands so i think that we have these dangers and we have these opportunities and and you've articulated them uh, so nicely as it relates to you know how people are coming alive watching on for their neighbors and entertaining each yeah. other yeah, from yeah. the street yeah. um so you know the idea of a good life um, really gets manifested in, in, in a number of different ways. Uh, Dr. Guy Caruso, we, we're, we're getting close to finishing up. We like to keep our podcast so within a half an hour. But I just want to end with a, a question like, what's next for Guy Caruso? What's next in the movement? What, what is your vision of um, how, how things will unfold? If you had a crystal ball and you were looking down the road, what, what's your sort of vision uh, for the future. Well, you know, it's funny, Al. I think in, in, in this time that we're living in, everybody's feeling vulnerable. Everybody's feeling, you know, uh, what it means to be isolated. I mean, those could be wonderful things that really could help us better connect with people who um, are in that state quite often, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I, you know, my sense is that, you know, uh, again, I tend to be kind of positive that we're going to come out of this uh, in a positive way. I think you know we're in a state right now where there's just a lot of fear. So the unknown um, is an issue. I mean, you know, a lot of what happens to people with disabilities is is because of the unknown. People don't know who they are, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, uh, I think social role valorization certainly is one way to bring people in touch with one another. You know, you do all the work around social capital. It's a, it's the same thing. It's it's people mm-hmm. being in relationship. So I'm hopeful that this will sensitize us to what it means to be isolated mm-hmm. and that maybe the, the better side of us will come out and, and really support people with disabilities. Um, there were some really positive signs before this in regards to the employment rate of people with disabilities is going up, businesses in the Pittsburgh area, literally uh, not from a human service perspective, but from a business perspective, hiring people with disabilities because it makes good sense, they're good mm-hmm. workers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people with disabilities being involved in, in the communities in positive ways. Um, so again, I, you know, I'm, I'm the glass is uh, half full for me. I, yeah, I see some yeah. good things happening. I think uh, this is a life's work. You've been at it for your entire life. Mm-hmm. Me too. Change doesn't mm-hmm. really happen quickly, but there's opportunity right now for all of us to really pull on the good uh, side that we have, good feelings we have to make change for all of us. Um, 
everybody deserves a good life. Um, I think we all appreciate that now because it's being threatened a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm looking forward to being able to hug you, Al. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you right now. Fear is driving a lot of what we're feeling right now. The unknown is driving a lot of what we're feeling. Who can say what the future is going to bring? But I am hope that we, um, again, are able to embrace one another and love one another and, uh, and show kindness to one another. Fantastic. Uh, you've been listening to the Call Me Owl podcast. Uh, we've been having a, a conversation with Dr. Guy Caruso, um, uh, disability advocate extraordinaire, internationally known uh, for the work that he's done uh, in social role valorization and being uh, all people uh, live a good life. The Call Me Out podcast is a uh, is a product of uh, the Interdependence Network. This is a network, a community uh, of uh, uh, practice, uh, internationally uh, uh, connected. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the Inter, uh, Interdependence Network, you can check out the website uh, buildingsocialcapital.org uh, for more information there. The podcast is produced by Side Project Incorporated, an incredible organization that provides legal advice and support uh, to organizations and individuals uh, really around, uh, around the country, uh, the United States. And uh, it's uh, underwritten by uh, Connect Community, uh, an incredible service system uh, in Canada, in British Columbia, and Ontario, providing uh, community-based supports to individuals with brain injuries. We thank them for their support. We thank Dr. Guy Caruso uh, for uh, taking some time with us today to talk about social world valorization and to, and to explore uh, some ways that folks can enhance uh, having a good life. So until next time, uh, you're, you can call me out. We'll look forward to uh, another edition coming up soon. Thanks again. <laughs>